there's just there's one little theological piece that I'd like to tidy up a bit that I, I've um, uh, it's in verse 15 that I, I have not yet drawn your attention to. It's um, it's something um, that is often mentioned in the New Testament, and um, uh, it's a it's a rich piece of theological truth. Let me, let me read verse 15, but uh, and, and then show you what I mean. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Go back to verse 15. And the the thing that I draw your attention to is, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Um, That's that's the part that I I really haven't uh, done much with, uh, I don't think. Um, But guys, it's um, in in theological circles, uh, it's called effectual uh, grace or effectual calling. Um, and don't let that frighten you, that, that, that term. Uh, an effectual calling is just a calling that has an effect. Um, but you'll notice that, that Paul mentions it here. It's mentioned several places. L- let me show you one of them. Um, if you can flip back to um, Romans 8, where it's mentioned a couple times, right almost back to back. Um, in Romans eight twenty eight, a very familiar and much beloved passage, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, the called according to his purpose. Keep reading. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, you, you notice um, in verse 30, uh, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified. There it is again in verse 30 and verse 28. You find this, this calling, uh, an effectual calling. Um, now, uh, guys, that's a, that's a different thing. This effectual calling is a different thing than a kind of a general invitation to, um, to come to the Savior. Um, that distinction between those two is, is very uh, poignantly illustrated in a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 14. It's called the parable of the Great Supper, and you remember that this, this man goes out and he wants to, um, uh, he, has, he throws this supper and he invites all these people, and um, uh, they, none of them wanted to come. And they all be, uh, like began to make excuses. And then in, in the closing verse of this parable, um, in verse 23, this is Luke 14, 23. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not a word that the people are real comfortable with. I mean, I, I, I am, but some are not. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That's that call. There you see contrasted a kind of a general invitation to come to Christ. But then ultimately there's this thing called effectual calling. It's a, it's a rich theological piece um, where God calls effectually. He calls in a way uh, that has its intended uh, result. Um, this is something that Paul mentions in verse 15, as I showed you. He also mentions it in verse 6 of, of Galatians 1, which I didn't, I didn't really draw your attention to when we were in verse 6 because I was so um, myopic 
about this whole different gospel thing that's mentioned in verse 6. But it's there in verse 6 as well. Um, I marvel that you are turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ. There it is, this effectual calling. And then he mentions it again in, in verse 15. And it's, um, uh, it's that which I'm trying to destroy your attention to. And, and, uh, it, it, not really to give you a whole lot, but to say that there is this calling that God extends um, that has its intended effect to call us by his grace. Now, that's what he says in verse 15, um, um, and call me through his grace to reveal his son to in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and Hey, guys, some of you may enjoy this. Uh, um, I, I kind of enjoy this. But you might want to uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 and keep your finger, keep, uh, keep both passages open. Um, Acts 9, Galatians 1, because what he recounts in Acts 9 is what's being um, mentioned um, in, in Galatians 1, and you see how they, how they line up. So let me show you. Um, he, he mentions this calling by his grace. Um, grace is something, ladies and gentlemen, that has no law in it. Um, it's, uh, it's grace because it's, it's, um, it, it's unmerited favor. It is not earned favor. It is not performed for favor. It is unmerited favor. And, and, and you notice um, he says in verse 16 that I might preach him. Uh, he says he says the same thing in verse six. Uh, I'm surprised that you were deserting him. So when people desert the gospel, they're deserting actually the Christ of the gospel, and that's what Paul goes to preach. Not so much the gospel, but the person of the gospel. The sin, the, the central figure in the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ, guys. Um, the gospel is is saturated. It's wrapped up with in, in who who Jesus is and what he did. Um, uh, they deserted him, and Paul is preaching him. But guys, the point that Paul is trying to make in this little section um, is that the gospel, the message that he brings to the Gentiles is one uh, that had no human contribution involved. He did not ask anybody to teach it to him. And, and I'll show you why that's important in just a minute. But immediately um, after having been converted... He begins to preach in, in the city of Damascus, which I, which I mentioned to you last week. And now, so go back to the Acts 9 passage. Um, immediately upon his conversion, he does not uh, go to some theological training. He begins to preach immediately. That's what it says in verse 20. Immediately he preached in uh, Christ, uh, etc. Paul is converted. He begins to preach in Damascus. And then look at what happens to him upon his preaching in Damascus. Now, after many, verse 23, Acts 9, after many days, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates night and day, or day and night, to kill him. Then the disciples took uh, him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So Paul is days old as a believer. He has begun to preach in the city of Damascus, and he ends up having to run for his life through a basket. He ends up in a basket as a result of, of his preaching there. But again, he's trying to give his Galatian audience um, information that will allow them to, 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 to sequence what happened to him 
um, uh, once he was converted, because he is trying to establish this point that he did not get his message from any man. Then back to Galatians uh, 1, verse 17. Um, He's preaching in the streets of Damascus, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned uh, again to Damascus. Now, guys, go over to Acts 9. He just told you what he did uh, in verse 17. Now, I just told you that he was in a basket. That's in verse 25. In Acts 9, there is a three-year lapse between verse 25 and verse 26. This three years that Paul mentions, um, um, where does he mention it? Um, I did not go to, uh, nor did, uh, but I went to Arabia. There it is in verse 17. Um, that, that, that three-year period in Arabia is right there between verses 25 and 26. It's not mentioned in Acts 9. Paul mentions it over here. You get the three-year period in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. He goes out to Arabia, which is oh, north. It's kind of like saying he went out to the Pacific Northwest. It's kind of hard to locate exactly where he was. But he goes, he goes out to Arabia for three years. Now, again... His opponents say, all right, Paul, all right, we understand that you were converted. You were converted, yeah, 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 and uh, it was all of the work of God. But after that, you went and those men in Jerusalem taught you what it is that you're saying. He's saying, oh, no, that never happened. I'm converted. I'm in Damascus. I start preaching. They put me in a basket. I have to run, and I go to Arabia for three years. That's the sequence. Because he's trying to establish this point. There is no human origin or contribution to the message that I'm preaching. Now, guys, that three-year period is pretty important for a couple of reasons. Um, It's important, um, well, because that three-year period out in Arabia, which, by the way, is found is mentioned no place else except Galatians 1. Um, that was a three-year period where he is alone with Christ. Um, he, is, he is getting compensation for the three years that he missed while Christ was alive. Um, but more than compensation... It is there, it is in that period, it is in that location where Paul gets that revelation of the gospel that he preaches that I made such a big deal about in verse 11. He's, in Dam- he's converted on the road or in Damascus, he goes and preaches, he ends up in a basket and he runs for his life and he goes and spends three years out. And there, ladies and gentlemen, in that three-year period, Paul is taught, but he's taught by no man. All of those intricacies, all of those beauties, all of those perfections, all of those mysteries of the gospel that you see explained in the book of Romans, he got them there. He got them in that three-year period while he was, while, while he was getting the, um, a, a comparable training 
that the 12 got while Jesus was alive. Now, guys, um, uh, that's important. <laughs> Let me show you why. Um, see if you can find Acts chapter 1. Let me... Okay, guys, you, you know there was 12 apostles. Uh, one of them was a real bad boy, um, and he ended up hanging himself. His name was Judas. You know that. So we're down to 11. While they're waiting on Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, Peter comes up with the idea uh, that they need to have an election. <laughs> um, that They need to replace that vacancy created by the death of Judas. And so... Um, um, notice you get the qualifications for that man. It's in verse 21. There are two qualifications. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these men become a witness with us of his resurrection. So to be an apostle, there had to be one giant piece of qualification. You had to have, you had to be with us from the beginning, from the baptism all the way through the resurrection. You had to be a witness of the resurrection and you needed to be with us that whole three year period by Jesus, or, or you needed to, you needed to have the same exposure that all that we had for that three years while Jesus was alive. Now, the point that I'm making is this. We do know that Paul witnessed the resurrection. He witnessed the resurrection on the road to Damascus. That's qualification number one. This three-year period in Arabia, I'm saying, is a comparable training period to meet this qualification so that the Apostle Paul can be considered apostolic. He can be considered an apostle. Gang, that is very important to, the, to Paul because it was his apostleship that was constantly being attacked. All kinds of criticisms, all kinds of objections for Paul being a, a, an apostle. But the two qualifications necessary to replace Judas back in Acts 1, Paul met. He met him in his conversion experience and in this three years in Arabia. So that, ladies and gentlemen, the, the message that he brings is an apostolic message and that carried huge weight in this audience. It carried huge weight, ladies and gentlemen, just in terms of the canonicity of his letters. You know what I mean by canonicity? That is, did they have weight with the church? Well, one of the key criterion of measuring letters was, were they written by an apostle? So, the fact that Paul meets both of these qualifications allows him to claim this, this title of being an apostle. Gang, let me, let me say this, and, I, and I, I hope I haven't confused you greatly, but this is important. When, when the early church is trying to figure out whether or not they can trust the numerous messages that are 
and letters that are floating around the, the then known church world. The first thing that they wanted to know is who wrote it. Um, were they an apostle or at least close to one? Um, for instance, Luke was not an apostle, but he wrote a gospel and he wrote the book of Acts. But he was very close and considered to be a traveling companion to both Peter and Paul. Uh, that he got his, um, his information from directly from Peter and Paul. So when it came down to the church trying to figure out, well, can we take this guy's Luke's gospel uh, as being credible? The first thing they wanted to know is, does it have apostolicity? Apostolicity. Is there, is there an apostle behind it? So what you see Paul doing in Galatians 1 is in essence defending his apostleship. That is critical. It's crucial that Paul, that his audience understand that all of the um, credentials that make somebody an apostle, I have them. And that three years out in Arabia is the thing that met one of those stated credentials of an apostle. So Paul gets a comparable training. He gets um, compensation for the three years he missed with three years in Arabia. Do you see all that, ladies and gentlemen? It might not be very important to you. But when Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church gets a letter that's authored by this guy by the name of Paul, they're thinking, all right, can we, can we take this thing? I mean, is this credible? Is this something that we ought to listen to? And somebody says, well, you know. You know that Paul is an apostle. And they say, no, he's not, because he, 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 didn't, he didn't follow you. Oh, but he has this three-year period that is compensation, comparable training to the other 11 guys. And so um, because the message was constantly being attacked, one of the things that was a cover, not a cover, um, was a justification for the message is Paul's claim to be an apostle. You get all that? (laughs) Um, That three-year period allows him to call himself a credentialed apostle. And when there are all these other gospels floating around, that's huge. It's huge that Paul be known as an apostle. I hope that uh, makes some sense to you. All right, go back to Galatians. Oh, keep, keep your finger in, um, in, in Acts 9 because he keeps on um, with this travelogue. Uh, then after three years, I'm in verse 18, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him 15 days. Again, he's trying to establish that there is no human origin to his message. And uh, he says, okay, I've, I've, I preached. I mean, I was converted in Damascus. I preached in Damascus. I ended up in a basket. I ran for my life. I spent three years out in the, out in the desert uh, being um, or receiving this thing that I call direct revelation from Jesus. 
<clears throat> and then I went to Jerusalem. And I didn't stay long. I, I didn't go there to attend some school that Peter had started. I spent 15 days. I spent a little over two weeks. I saw Peter. Um, I didn't, I, it was just more of a get acquainted visit. Um, but this is another argument that I didn't get my message from those guys. That's already been established. I, you know, I ended up in the basket three years. That, that, that gospel that, I, that I'm preaching is the one that Jesus taught me in that three-year period. So after that three-year period, he goes to Jerusalem and he sees, uh, who is it? He sees two. Peter and John, is it? Um, uh, Peter and James. Uh, no, I, I saw Peter, I mentioned it, 15 days, verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Um, guys, that James is not the one that you normally think of, the son of Zebedee. You know, when, when Peter, James, and John are always together on the Mount of Trent, that's not him. It's a different one. This is the half-brother of Jesus who was murdered by Herod in Acts 12. Um, he's the one that's uh, considered the author of the book of James. He is the one that is somewhat the, the, uh, the titular head of the church in Acts 15. But he's also the one that didn't believe in Jesus um, uh, in, in the early going. But he was a half-brother. I say half-brother because he had the same uh, mother, but he... They didn't have the same father. Um, but that's who that is. That's, um, that's not Peter, James, and John, the, son of J- J- the brother of John. This is, uh, this is the one that was raised with Jesus in his home. Okay, so uh, he sees those two guys. Um, uh, again, uh, what he's trying to prove is I do not have a human connection, a human um, instructor, in this gospel that I'm teaching. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James. It was this direct revelation I got that he mentions in verse 11. That's important, guys. Um, so he spent the three years. Then he goes to Jerusalem. By the way, um, that visit um, is mentioned in Acts 9 um, in verse 26. So you see the, the, the sequence is the same. Uh, Verse 26 of Acts 9, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So, and this visit that he mentions over here in, in, in Galatians 1, that's the visit that he mentions in Acts 9, 26. And you're told a little bit more about it, that nobody wanted to meet with him because they were afraid of him. Barnabas acted as a mediator for him on his behalf. Um, and, but even at that, the only two that he was able to meet was Peter, um, Peter and James. The others may have been too afraid of him to meet with him. Um, um, but, but th- this is kind of interesting, guys. Um, go back to that Acts 9 part. Um, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with him at, uh, with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Um, I read you all of that because um, after this visit to Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul pretty much falls off the, the I mean, he, he goes into hiding. He, it, it, at least he is no longer spotlighted. Um, and, and notice, this is kind of interesting, in verse 31 of Acts 9, 
the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified without the Apostle Paul. The churches are doing fine without the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is uh, back in Tarsus, and he doesn't reappear on the scene. Uh, Peter moves to center stage. Peter becomes the one that is uh, the focus in Acts 10, Acts 11, and then finally back in um, Acts 13, Barnabas goes to Tarsus and gets Paul. And, and then the missionary journeys begin, and, and the whole focus moves away from Peter onto Paul. Um, but all of that is trying to convince his audience that what he has for them is not something that he got from men. Um, he says, in, I'm back in Galatians 1 now. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. Uh, um, uh, that's where his home was. Tarsus is in Sicilia. Um, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were, were in Christ. Um, at this, I mean, you know, I, I, we, we tend to forget, I think, that um, life is long. You know, Paul's converted. He gets in trouble. He's in a basket. He goes, spends three years. He goes to Jerusalem. And then you don't hear from him. You don't hear from him for years. Um, the, the, and the church does just fine without him. But when God gets ready, he goes back, he goes back and gets him and puts him in the forefront of things. And then this is kind of interesting, at least, I mean, um, look at verse 20. I kind of skipped it. Um, now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Now, guys, he is saying this to an audience, the same audience that he was the first one to bring the gospel to these people. And now, now they're afraid he's a liar. (laughs) These Galatian people heard the gospel first from Paul, and now, because of some false doctrine brought by the Judaizers, Paul is... It's being questioned as to whether or not you can trust what he says. And so he... In this, this parenthesis in verse 20, he in essence takes an oath. He swears because he is trying to convince an audience, these Galatians to whom he had first brought the gospel, who now had so little respect for him at this point and, and um, didn't trust him. <laughs> um, you know... Um, I'm going to write a book one day. Um, I've got this file I think I've told you about. Um, um, I've got files. And in my files is a file. Um, And it's called my Blue Monday file. Have I ever told you about my Blue Monday file? Um, It's it's notes and letters um, where people have written me nice things. I don't save the ugly ones. I got one of those today, um, but I, I don't say that one. Um, but the, the nice ones I save, either emails or um, or, or notes, and I, I've been doing that for forty years now. And I've got this huge file back there. So when I retire, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to take those letters from my Blue Monday file, and I'm going to arrange them in chronological well, in ten year periods. 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write out some things and say, the title of the book was, is going to be, he really was a very nice guy. <laughs> um, no, um, the, title, the title of the book is going to be, They Cry Too. I mean, imagine this. Imagine this. The Apostle Paul brings the gospel to these people. Now, through some um, erroneous teaching they had gotten from this group called the Judaizers, they're thumbing their nose at Paul, and they're spitting on him, and they're kicking him under the bus, and we don't trust that guy anymore. And, and, and so he has to resort to this well, let me tell you how it happened. You know, I was converted up there, and then I ended up in a basket, and then I spent three years. I didn't, I didn't talk to any of those guys. Can't you just hear him? I, I, didn't, I didn't learn this from Peter. James didn't teach me this. No, no, no. I had special revelation out of, out of Arabia, those three years that I spent out there. And, 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 and then I went from there, I, I went to Drew, but I only spent 15 days. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to the Petrine School of Theology. And then as he's, as he's pleading his case and making the case that, you know, what I'm telling you I got from God, he, he pauses and he says, I'm not lying to you. Can you imagine that? I mean, if they can do that to the Apostle Paul, what do you think they can do to yahoos like myself? Um... There's a scene. There's a scene in the book of Acts where, um, where Paul is on one of those missionary journeys. I don't know which one, and um, he he does something, and um, um, the people stone him. And um, I forget the sequence whether they stone him first and worship him next, or worship him first and then stone him. I don't know, but within a, within a matter of 24 hours, they worshiped him one time, and he says, no, no, don't do that. The next day, they stone him. <laughs> That's the fickleness of, of people, of people. And it happened to the Apostle Paul. And he's trying to make his argument and has to pause and say, do you think I'm lying to you? Don't you remember I'm the guy that brought it over there the first place in the first place? Don't you remember that? And then he pauses and says, I'm telling you the truth. Um he then goes to back home and I and I was an unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Um the, he is he is backwatered in Tarsus. And everybody in Judea, you know, that's the, the whole world around Jerusalem. Um, they had no idea about this Apostle Paul. They just heard something, it says in the text. It says, um, um, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which, is, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. But they're doing this from a, from a distance. That is, yeah, we've heard about that guy, but he's pretty much uh, dropped off the scene uh, at least for a time. Why? I don't know. I don't know why um, God didn't just continue to push him out on the into the, the the arenas to defend the gospel. I don't know. But we all, what we do know is that Paul took um, 
or that God put him in Tarsus. Maybe to grow him up some. Who knows? But the church didn't need him. The church went on just fine without him. But when God got ready to take the, the message of the, of the gospel to the Gentiles, he, he raises up Barnabas, go get Saul, and the missionary journeys begin. That's the story that you get here. All of it designed to convince his audience that the message that he's got is not of human origin. It has a divine origin to it. So, guys, here's the dilemma for the reader of Galatians chapter 1 in uh, uh, 2014. Here's the dilemma. Is this guy telling you the truth? Um, are, we, um, are we to accept this message that Paul brings? Or should we prefer another message? Ladies and gentlemen, um, I made a big deal out of verse 11 several weeks ago. If verse 11 is true, you know, that's where he says, I got this by, I didn't get it from man. I got it by direct revelation. Um, um, in verse 12, where I received it, not from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. If that is true, then for you to, for us to reject the message that Paul has in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, which of course are kind of companion books. For us to reject that is to reject the God that he says he got it from. So what you've got to figure out is, is Paul, who swears that he is, is he telling you the truth? Um, I think I know the answer to that, but... Guys, if he's telling you the truth, then you better figure out uh, what this gospel is as compared to all those others that compete with it. Because he says that the only one that's the real one is the one that he's, he's teaching you. Let's quit there. Our Father, um, we thank you for this book. We thank you that, that we don't have to depend on Jimmy Young. Um, that in all reality, we don't need to learn it from men. We have this book, and we can uh, examine what the truth is just by uh, studying the precepts and the, uh, the assertions that we find in this book. Um, but, Father, we're grateful that you have seen it, that you have made, gone to such extremes to deliver into our hands um, the, the ins and outs of this gospel message and then um, govern the process of getting it written and delivered to us so that we here can sit and study it, learn it, and know that what we have um, in our possession is a message that you gave to the Apostle Paul by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Father, for so many of us, that's easy to believe. And for those who struggle with that, would you grant them the grace of, of, a, of a serene, um, secure place of yielding, yielding themselves, not to the church, not to Jimmy Young, but to the truth contained in this book. 
We, um, we love it. We want to be students of it. And we, we want to not only know it, but flesh it out um, in our, our daily existence. We commit ourselves to that and do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.